chapter 3, verses 27 through 30. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back later, I'll give it tomorrow when you have it with you. Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Again, we're in the the book of Proverbs, and we're looking at some different things today, and today it's going to be about loving our neighbor. Interestingly, the, the same word that's used in the Hebrew for neighbor can also mean friend. Proverbs three twenty seven through 35, which we just read a portion of it, and we'll read the balance in a little bit, it consists of five instructions about regarding the correct wisdom-based behavior towards our we're going to say neighbors, and we're going to talk a little bit about who our neighbor is. Each proverb or each command in this passage, these passages we're looking at start with do not. We just read four of them, and each one starts with do not. The basic idea in the first one that we looked at is that don't withhold good, the literal translation in the Hebrew would have been, don't withhold good from the owners. In the way that it's translated in the NIV that we read it today, the basic idea is to promptly pay debts and wages to those that it's owed to. If you employ someone and they earn wages, then you should pay them. Pay them promptly. It also seems to imply the, the generosity toward those that don't have when you do have the power to act. The second command requires that this generosity be extended without hesitation or delay. Don't say, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you have it right now. Don't put people off. And the reason that was said in that time because it was a little bit more um, crucial in that day than maybe it is today. In those days, it was very common for people to be paid daily at the end of the day's work. You work all day, you get paid. People didn't have savings accounts or a checking account. Usually what they got paid was to live for tomorrow. People lived from a day-to-day existence. If you withheld from a person today... That means their family probably went hungry tomorrow. And so the writer of this section of Proverbs was saying, if somebody deserves something, then give it to them. If somebody needs something and you have the ability to provide that, then give it to them. If you owe somebody something and you have it with you, don't say come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you tomorrow. Now, in modern days, I think the the main reason for not doing that is because So many times when that happens, the person comes back tomorrow, and then it's tomorrow, and then it's tomorrow again. And before you know it, it's a week down the road. Believe me, I I do collections in my business, so I, I hear a lot of tomorrows. Next Thursdays and next Wednesdays. You know, if you have it, go ahead and give it to the person that you owe it to. 
to delay in that day, to delay a payment could literally place a family in jeopardy. It could place them in harm's way. If the person didn't, let's say they weren't, didn't have any work for the next day, and they didn't get paid for the day they got paid for, you're looking at three days before they get any money to go buy their family food. And when you're living day to day, that doesn't work very well. And it's interesting when we look at Proverbs how simple these things are, but how applicable they are to pretty much everybody's life. Because either, in, in most of our cases, either we write somebody checks that do, does work for us, or we get a check from somebody that we work for, and either way, the person getting paid, whether it be your employee or whether it's you, you want to get paid promptly. The other side of that is that when the opportunity arises for us to help others, if it's within our means, then there should never be a question about whether or not we do it. If there is a real need, you see somebody that truly has a need. I saw something this past week that was, it was, it was so well put together. I was at a, um, at St. Joseph's Catholic Church and I went to see the, the priest of that church for something and while I was waiting for him, a man came in and he was carrying a like a book bag that kids carry their books to school in. And he came in and he said, who would I see about getting some food for my family? And looking at him, I would say he was very sincere about what he said. And she said, just a minute, I'll, I'll have that person come see you. person comes out, talks to him, goes back, comes back out with a box, and the box is already made up with stuff. It has staple goods. It has things that a person that isn't living in a house, they were living in a tent, the person living in a tent could use and could sustain his family for a few days. And I thought, how good is that, that you can respond to a need just like that? And it went right with the lesson today, because if you have the means and somebody has a need then don't hold it back from them. We wouldn't want God to do that. And if you look at, at, at all the Proverbs, it tries to get us to think in the way that God thinks and to take on the characteristics of God in our life towards others, that we should treat others the way that we expect God to treat us. If, if God has the ability to, to take care of a need, we kind of expect Him to do it. Right? So when we have the ability to meet someone else's need, then we should just go ahead and do it like we expect God to. Then there's a command of not to harm one's neighbor. It kind of implies that we need to maintain a bond of trustworthiness with our neighbors. If we tell our neighbor we're going to do something, we need to do it. The people that, that live around us shouldn't have to worry about if we are plotting against them. The word plot in this passage literally means to plow. 
So if you put that in that context, it's plotting against a neighbor or planning and conniving and scheming as accurately as you would plow these straight rows down a field and as thoughtful as you would go. You don't go out and plow a field and just go in circles and just run all over the field. You have rows because it's plotted out. And that's what the writer here is is comparing this to, that to plot against your neighbor. No, I've never plowed a field, but I've seen them plowed. Um, to plot against your neighbor is that premeditated, set it all up, and you're going after your neighbor in a premeditated manner. And the writer's saying, don't do that. Don't scheme against your neighbor. And you know what? It happens. It happens all the time. The next thing that the writer mentions is falsely accusing our brothers. Proverbs 3 and 30 it might also refer to meaningless, groundless, or frivolous lawsuits against people. You trip on a rock in your neighbor's yard and you sue him for $35 million because you tore up your favorite pair of shoes. If you've been watching the, the news this past week, there was a man that went to the, this is a true story, by the way, a man that went to a dry cleaners in Washington, D.C., He's a judge, by the way, also. And they lost his pants. They offered to pay him $150 for the pants. He said no. They got as high as $12,000 for his pants. He said no. They found his pants. He said those aren't my pants. And he sued them for $65 million. And it's going to court in June. And he's a judge. Now... If that man had claimed to be a Christian, whatever he claimed is shot right there. You know why? Because he accused somebody of harm for no reason. And this is something I think that is, maybe it didn't apply a lot back then in that day. Maybe the meaning has changed a little bit to our day. But when we do those kind of things, when we become known as a litigious person, that every time somebody looks at us wrong, that we're going to sue them, it's not a good witness. Do not accuse a man for no reason when he has done no harm to you. And we see it time and time again in our, our legal system that people, for any little thing, and it might have cost them 50 cents, but they're going to sue for $50 million. That is not a Christian character. Characteristic. There you go. With no pants, yeah. There you go. <laughs> I'm sure that has to do with the lawsuit. Oh, one thing in the lawsuit, I will tell you, there's $15,000 included in there for renting a car every weekend to take his close to another cleaners since he doesn't trust that one anymore yes now there's another scripture in proverbs in fact it's in proverbs 14 and verse 20 
The poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. And this leads into a scripture that's in our lesson text. Let's also read Proverbs 19, verses 4 and 7. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back wages of a hired man overnight. Verse 4. Do not turn to idols or make gods of cast metal for yourself. I am the Lord your God. Verse 7. That's not right. That's Leviticus. We want Proverbs 14. Proverbs 19, 4 and 7. Wealth brings many friends, but a poor man's friends desert him. Same thing as in that verse 20 of the other one. Verse 7. A poor man is shunned by all his relatives. How much more do his friends avoid him? Though he pursues them with pleading, they are nowhere to be found. And then if you look at 14 and 21, the last scripture in our text in this section we're looking at. He who despises his neighbor sins, but blessed is he who is kind to the needy. The scripture just absolutely is very blunt. It calls, calls the attitude of despising one's neighbor sin. In those other scriptures we read, we saw that a person that doesn't have anything, a lot of times doesn't have any friends. But somebody that has a lot, has lots of friends. Right. And I believe these scriptures are tied in together because if you have a neighbor maybe that's not so well off or maybe not doing as well as you, and you despise or holds in contempt or belittles or ridicules that person, it's sin. I mean, it doesn't kind of dance around it a little bit and say you shouldn't do it. It doesn't say, well, it's kind of wrong. It just flat comes out and says it's sin. And then it starts this, which leads into the next section we're going to read, this contrasting scriptures that we've talked about so much in Proverbs. It talks about he who despises his neighbor's sins. But look at the second half. But blessed is he who is kind to the needy. Proverbs 19 and 17. Do not envy a violent man or choose his ways. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. I didn't think that was the right scripture. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. In other words, when we help someone who is in need, we are doing it as unto God. And it doesn't say that that person that we do it to will reward it. I think this scripture implies that God will reward us. If we're doing it as unto God, then God will reward us for what we've done, for those good deeds. And I think that comes back to what we talked about before. We can expect that because it's a characteristic of God. Now, the next question, and probably one of the most important questions in this whole Bible study, is who is my neighbor? 
We've talked about our neighbor, and the automatic thing that we think about is whoever lives within about two houses from us. And that's my neighbor. Scripture in a lot of places makes it clear that we have many responsibilities and duties towards our neighbors. Look all the way back in the Ten Commandments. The Ninth Commandment says to regard, to requires honesty with regard to our neighbor's reputation. In fact, let's, let's read that. Exodus 20 and 16. You should not give false testimony against your neighbor. Again, this goes back and ties right into Proverbs about saying things about your neighbor that's not true, making false accusations against our neighbor, taking them to court over something that is frivolous. Don't give false testimony against your neighbor. That's one of the original Ten Commandments. There's people that don't even believe much about the Bible that believe that the Ten Commandments are good. This is one of them. In verse 17 of that same chapter, You should not covet your neighbor's house. You should not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. If your neighbor gets a new riding lawnmower, you don't go, man, I wish I'd have gotten that instead of him. We don't covet the things that belongs to our next-door neighbor. Not just our next-door neighbor. Leviticus 19 and 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's one of those that in case you wondered if if God was serious about that commandment, He ended it with, I am the Lord. Matthew 19 and 19 kind of resays it again. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. In chapter 10, verse 29, there was someone came to Jesus and they asked Jesus, Who is, who is my neighbor? Let's look at that. Matthew. Or Luke ten twenty nine. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Following that, the next several scriptures after that in the book of Luke, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. We're all very familiar with it, but let's just go over it real quickly. There's a man that's traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He happens to be Jewish. On his way, he gets jumped by robbers. They beat him, they steal his clothes, they leave him for dead. The Bible says, in Jesus' parable, it says that a priest walks by and sees him and goes the other way. A little bit later, a Levite walks by and sees him and goes the other way. But then a Samaritan came along. Now, keep in mind, when we talk about Samaritans, who the Samaritans were. The Jews hated Samaritans worse than anybody. They were looked upon as the lowest form of human beings. They actually considered them dogs. So that's not very highly regarded. But this man is a Samaritan. The man that's hurt is a Jew. 
And you would think, well, if he walked by, he'd be justified. Samaritans were basically half-breed Jew-Gentile people, and that's why they hated him so badly. But look what verse 33 says. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and he saw him. He took pity on him. He didn't just keep walking. And if anybody had a right to, it would be this man. In verse 35, it says that he bandaged his wounds. He took him to an inn. He told the innkeeper at the end, take care of this man. And whatever he needs, you charge it to me. And when I pass back through here, I'll pay it. The man asked, who's my neighbor? Jesus told the story. And then look what Jesus said in verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the answer comes in verse 37. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Who is our neighbor? In those days, there weren't social safety nets or government programs to help people who were uh, displaced and homeless, or their thing happened and their source of income was suddenly gone. There were no social programs in place. Widows and orphans, um, foreigners, if they didn't have a provision for income, most of the time they were reduced to begging. You can go back to Genesis. There's, there's accounts of that. You can look at Ruth. After her, her husband died, the mother-in-law said, go back and live with your family. Why? Because that was the way it worked. There was nothing else she could do. They didn't have any program that she could collect Social Security from her husband because he worked. She had was supposed to go back and live with her family, and they would take care of her. But often, if there were no family, they were completely ignored by their neighbors. And I believe that that's one of the reasons that Proverbs goes so far into describing why we should take care of those who don't have the means to take care of themselves. And while Proverbs says an awful lot about how we treat those around us and those that we, we come in contact in the world, the bottom line comes down to this. In the passage of Scripture we read in chapter Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 21, it's real plain and simple. He who despises his neighbor sins. Let's go to Proverbs 3, 31 and 32. Do not envy a violent man or choose any of his ways. For the Lord detests a perverse man, but takes the upright into his confidence. In those days, to pronounce a curse on somebody was as far opposite as you could get of a blessing. We see several different examples through the Bible 
from a human perspective, a curse conveyed the desire that something bad would happen to that person. From a divine point of view, it was more associated with judgment to have a curse placed on you. Um, in the Old Testament, if you look after Adam and Eve sinned, they were cursed. It was a judgment. When Noah, after they got out of the ark, Noah placed a curse on his grandson, Canaan, because of the disrespect of Canaan's father, Ham. That was a curse placed on that son. Curses were pronounced at Mount Ebal uh, that anybody who disobeyed the provisions of the law of Moses would be cursed. I found this interesting. I had never read this before that I can remember. Leviticus 19 and 14. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. I had never read that before. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. I think roughly translated, that just means don't be mean. The worst curse of all, Exodus 21 and 17 and Jesus reiterated this in Matthew, but let's read the original. Anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. Boy, that one nowadays would, um, wouldn't be very popular. It would cut down on the population. In Luke 6 and 28, let's look what Jesus told his apostles and disciples. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. If somebody pronounces a curse on you, don't give it back to them. Pray for them. If your neighbor, and who is our neighbor? Everybody, pretty much. If they say something wrong, it's not our job to say something back to them just as wrong. We're supposed to pray for them. Paul in Galatians 3 and 10. Let's read that. Galatians 3 and 10. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Curse is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. That's a reference back to what we talked about a minute ago at Mount Ebal. That people that disobeyed the law, the provisions of the law of Moses were cursed. And Paul refers back to that. But he goes on and he says, everyone that lived under the law was cursed. Because if they didn't do every little thing of the law, then they were guilty of all of it. But look what he went on to say in, in verse 13 of that same chapter. This is very, very pertinent to us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So when we look at curses, we can see that from the beginning of time all the way through the New Testament, there is talk of what a curse is. And now understanding that, let's go back and look at that again. Do not envy a violent man or choose any of his ways, for the Lord detests a perverse man, but takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked. Knowing how serious a curse is, I would say that we would want our house 
not to be a house of the wicked. And again, this is contrast, like many of the other scriptures we read, the curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the house of the righteous. How many of us want our, our house to be blessed? Sure we do. Back in the Old Testament, Israel had been presented a choice. They could have a future of blessing or they could have curses before entering the promised land. Over the centuries, in their history, they had seen the outcome of both. They had seen the blessings of God and they had seen the curses of God. Those that had been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, they certainly had seen both in those 40 years. They had seen multiple things. But even going back into their history, way back before they even went into Egypt, they saw the blessings and the curses of God. And knowing this, the writer of Proverbs says, He blesses the home of the righteous. The, the children of Israel had a choice, just like we do. Do we want to be blessed or do we want to be cursed? How do we want to be known? How do our neighbors look at us? The third contrast speaks of how God treats with scorn or contempt people that are mockers. Let's look at that, that verse. He mocks proud mockers but gives grace to the humble. I believe that this is shown to be important in our day, not just because it's in Proverbs, but when you look in the, in the New Testament, in James 4 and 6, this scripture is quoted again. In 1 Peter 5 and 5, it's quoted again. So it didn't just apply to the Old Testament. There are some that say, well, that's the Old Testament, so it doesn't apply to us today. I believe this particular scripture is just for those people. Just in case they don't believe in the Old Testament, it's said twice more in the New Testament. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In Greek thought of that day, humility was not a positive trait. It was a negative thing. It actually showed weakness or a lack of worth or dignity. And so humility was looked down upon. It was thought to be good to walk around with a haughty attitude. It's similar to the way it is today. That's right. Humility is not looked upon as being a really good thing today either. But I believe that the Bible goes way out of its way to teach that that's not a characteristic of Christ. And it shouldn't be a characteristic of Christians. In Matthew 18 and 4, Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus said. Matthew 23 and 12, 
For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Luke 18 and 14. I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Isn't it amazing that it says that in so many places in the Bible, and it says it almost word for word time and time again. That if we humble ourselves, we will be blessed. Those that God mocks the proud mockers, but He gives grace to the humble. Those that walk around and say, hey, I'm all self-sufficient, I don't need anybody, I don't need God, I don't need anybody else, I'm a self-made man. Those are the people that it's talking about. But those that walk around and say, I have been blessed. Everything that I have is because of the blessings of God. And when we grasp that attitude, that what we have is strictly because of the goodness of God to us, then we start to realize what these scriptures are talking about. Very true. The next scripture in verse 35. The wise inherit honor, but fools he holds up to shame. Again, we've talked about this before. The fool is not a person that's just ignorant. It's not a person that doesn't have a high IQ. It's a person that goes elsewhere to look for their wisdom than the Word of God. And that person, they find what they think is wisdom, and they don't ever reflect back on it to see if it's really wisdom. They just take it all in and say, well, this is good enough for me. And if you don't review what you think is wisdom to try it and see... You can end up being shamed. But a person that follows the Word of God will inherit honor. And a fool will be held to shame. Proverbs 25 and 18. Like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is a man who gives false testimony against his neighbor. Proverbs 11 and 9. With his mouth the godless destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous escape. Who is our neighbor? We can, according to Proverbs, destroy people Strictly by our actions and our words. And I believe if we look at it like many of the Proverbs in contrast, that we can build up people by the opposite of that. By our actions and our words. The choice is up to us. And it really comes down, if you read through Proverbs in in all the different places where it talks about these things, it gives us a choice of being a wise person or a fool. And we've studied before of what the outcome of the fool is. The wisdom is here. With the Holy Spirit in your life, the wisdom is here or here. So that we know when we're doing something right. We know when we're doing something wrong. 
and the wisdom of God will lead us and guide us. The, in, in the book of Psalms, 119 and 11, I think it says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, so I won't sin against it. If we have the wisdom of the Word of God and the Spirit of God in our life, we really don't have to worry about sinning against it if it's really in our heart. Martin Luther wrote something. And he relates this, the idea of being a good neighbor to the Christmas story. And I'm going to just read what he wrote. Some of us think to, him, to ourselves, if I had only been there, how quick would I have been to help the baby? I would have washed his linen. How happy I would have been to go with the shepherds to see the Lord lying in the manger. Yes, we would. We say that because we know how great Christ is. But if we had been there at that time, we would have done no better than the people of Bethlehem. So why don't we do it now? We have Christ in our neighbor. It's easy to look back and say, I would have never done that. I would have given them the best room in my house. Not really. They were just strangers. They were strangers from another town. And the place was full. We wouldn't have done any differently. But what about the person we meet next week? There's our chance. Jesus said, if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. He went on to say that if you haven't done it unto the least of these, then you haven't done it unto me. That's, again, one of those contrasting things. Just in case we didn't get it the first time, he said it in a more powerful way the second time. So, if we believe that we would have been different in Bethlehem at that time, we have an opportunity to prove it in this coming week. In the Old Testament, especially... Being a good neighbor was, it was probably more important than it is today. It was written into the law of Moses, and it was for a specific purpose. Many of the people of that day were nomads. They traveled, they lived in tents, and when they put their tents up, they put them up real close to each other. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a tent next to somebody in another tent, but they might as well be in your tent because there's not a whole lot blocked out between the two tents. And so I think a lot of the laws about how we treat our neighbor were written for those people because they were in such close contact with each other. They lived right next to each other in the tent next door, and maybe you could hear people in 15 tents down. And then when you decided to move, they all packed up, and guess what? They all moved together. I mean, think about it. What if you moved and all the neighbors on about five sides of you packed up and moved with you? You better be able to get along with them. And in the Old Testament, in the Law of Moses, there were several provisions written as to how we treat our neighbors.
But then in the New Testament, Jesus made it really clear that those neighbors aren't just those that travel around us in our little nomadic group. Matthew 19 and 19, we read earlier. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Again, Jesus was quoting from Leviticus, bringing it up to date. It was said back in Leviticus, and Jesus just brought the importance of it. You're supposed to honor your father and mother, and you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. And even those times when we say, but I do love those around me. But do you love them as much as you love you? But that's what it says. And if you have one of those special Bibles where it's written in red, it's probably written in red. Some people think that's a lot more important. Romans 13 and 9. This is what Paul wrote to the Romans. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and what other, whatever other commandments there are may be summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can take all those commandments, every one of them, and sum them up in one short phrase. Love those around you the way you love yourself. George MacDonald said, Your neighbor is the man who is next to you at the moment, the man with whom any business has brought you into contact. That's your neighbor. Oswald Chambers said it this way, If my heart is right with God, Every human being is my neighbor. I believe Proverbs is very clear about our responsibility to all those that live trustfully near us. Proverbs 3 and 29 speaks that language. I believe that we are required. We have to do good to those people around us because we are establishing something with them every time we come in contact with them. We claim to be Christians. If we have the opportunity to do good and we don't, then that's a lot of people's view of Christianity. Twenty-some years ago, I saw somebody do something. And this was a person I admired when I was brand new in this business. And I saw, at the end of the day, it was just me and this man at the office. And a man came in and said he was hungry. I was... When I say I was broke, I didn't have a nickel in my pocket. There were vending machines. I didn't have any money at all. This other guy, I know he did. And instead of just getting this person something to eat, 
he went back in the back and he found a Coke or something that was about half full and a package of crackers that had been back there for who knows how long and brought it out to him and gave it to him. And as the man left, he laughed. My opinion of that person was changed forever. And that was 25 plus years ago. All the good that you do can be wiped out just like that by not taking to heed what Proverbs says about our neighbor. And then when we carry it forward to the New Testament, where Jesus made it so clear that everyone we come in contact with is our neighbor, even if it's a person that hates us, like the Samaritan and the Jew. Where is our witness? We are to be a blessing to our neighbor. We know our neighbors aren't just the people that live next door. Jesus made it very clear. And I believe up until Jesus clarified that, a lot of people really bought into the whole thing of my neighbor is just those people around me. But in our society today, we're very mobile. We can reach out to people thousands of miles away in seconds by a phone call, an email, and in weeks by regular mail. But there are ways that we can contact people and come in touch with pe- come and be in touch with people and show the godliness and the kindness and the love of what a Christian truly is. So who's our neighbor? Person at the checkout counter at the grocery store? The guy at the gas station? He might not look like you. He might not act like you. He might not talk like you. When you leave, he might go, thank you very much. And that would be totally different than what you're used to. But you might be the only example he sees of what a true Christian is. And these people might base their opinion of us and their trust in the one or two encounters they ever have with us in our life. Now, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that I've, I've handled every situation perfectly. I have not. I look back over some things I did, and, and if we were all honest, we probably would say, I really messed up there. But what do we do about it? We all want to be blessed. This coming week, could we take the things that we've looked at today and reflect back on a few of these things from today's lesson 
Number one, our neighbor is anyone we come in contact with. Number two, we are called to love and be a blessing to our neighbor. And number three, God has promised that in turn, he will bless us and our house. And that's what we want. God bless you.